You could arise uh, if you're able for the reading of God's word. God's word comes to us this morning from uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 uh, through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, there are, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will, be, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Please be seated. Uh, just join me in uh, praying for the preaching of God's word, if you will. Father in heaven, we are uh, grateful for your word because um, we know that it has power. Power to uh, remind us of the gospel. Power for those who believe to um, have salvation and life anew power also to change our hearts and to uh, embolden us to the gospel, not just for ourselves, but for our communities and even to the ends of the earth. So Lord, at this time, Lord, would you just um, bless us with your word. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Being on the mission field um, reminds you of just some of the wonderful gifts that you have gifts of friendship and support, um, like Pastor Will, um, just as he shared, it's just been wonderful having him in our lives. And also just the gift of partnership. I just want to thank you, New Life Prez, just so much for all the support, the prayers, uh, the kindness and love that you've demonstrated to us over the years. It is one of the reasons why we can stay on the field and uh, bear any fruit. Um, this morning, I, I want to just share a little bit about uh, missions. And for me personally, this story has been helpful. When I first heard about missions, I was a senior in college. And, um, you know, I heard about this great need to go out to the ends of the earth to share the gospel with many people who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel uh, lest they uh, die in eternal judgment. And honestly, my motivation for missions at that time was really driven by guilt and fear. I just felt this huge weight that if I didn't go and respond to this call, that uh, souls were at stake. I, I imagine for some of you, too, when you hear about missions, Possibly you're gripped by that same emotion, by fear, by guilt. 
And um, I do think that one of the most important things about missions is exactly that, is to share the gospel, to share this great hope and truth. But I believe um, that we can have a fuller understanding of the mission of God. And I believe that the story of the Tower of Babel can help us. You know, a lot of times when we hear about the story, I imagine many of you are familiar with it. Um, it's a story of human hubris and their audacity to try to reach God and God's punishment upon them. But I think there are two things we can learn from this story. One is that God is the Lord of the mission, that he fulfills his mission and he continues to fulfill it through his church. So that's one thing I hope that you can see in the story. The second is the beauty of God's mission. Um, sometimes I think because we focus so much on the command, we forget how beautiful God's mission is and what he achieves uh, through it. So with those two things in mind, let's just jump into the story. Uh, in verse 1, it reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. The story takes place uh, right after God rescues Noah and his family from the flood. And when everything and everyone was wiped away in judgment, and at this point in history, everyone spoke the same language. And not only the same language, but the same words, the same vernacular, um, the same expressions. And this oneness in words actually implies that there was also oneness in culture. And what we had then was uniformity. Uniformity in people, in language, and in culture. And everything seemed fine until we come to verse 2. In verse 2, we already have indications of trouble. See, people started migrating to the land of Shinar to find a place to settle down and lay down roots. And in the ESV, it actually states that the people migrated from the east. But I think a better translation, in my humble opinion, is that they migrated eastward. For example, if you look at Genesis chapter 13, verse 11, the same exact Hebrew phrase is used, and it's translated as Lot traveled east. Uh, why is this significant? Because if you were to read through uh, the preceding chapters and the rest of the book of Genesis, movement eastward always signified separation from the presence of God. This is true when Adam and Eve sinned, and left the Garden of Eden, they traveled east. When Cain uh, killed his brother and he was punished, he traveled eastward. And, what, and when Lot went east, he went to the city of Sodom. And here we see a people heading eastward as they journey, presumably, away from the presence of God. And this is confirmed in verse 4, when the people now at China say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top, to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. At first, uh, you know, when I read this uh, passage um, about plans to build a city and a tower that reaches the heavens and make a name for themselves, um, I thought, man, these people are filled with hubris, with arrogance, with pride, and it seemed that they wanted to um, reach God with their own ability, their own ingenuity, their collective effort. But as we look more carefully at the passage and examine their intentions, we can see another motivation that grips them. 
And that motivation is fear. See, in verse 4, the reasoning that they give for the construction of the city and tower and their desire to make a name for themselves is so that they will not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. It's a statement filled with anxiety and uncertainty. They're fearful of being scattered apart and being dispersed to unknown parts of the world. The question is, why were they fearful? Uh, In the ancient world, why did people build cities? They had Uh, Cities had walls, and they were to keep out external threats, right? Uh, Whether it was people or beasts or any other uh, dangers. Cain did the same thing in chapter 4 when he headed eastward. Um, God punished him, and he made him a fugitive and wanderer. So how did he respond? He built a city to protect himself. But why were towers built... um, Why were towers built? Well, towers were built so that you could see from a distance, right? You could spot your enemies. And towers also actually signified a way for people to go up to heaven, but also for gods to come down to earth. It was a way to bring security from the heavens. In the ancient Near East, the Babylonians also had a story of a founding of the city, the city that they called Babel, ironically. And Babel, in their language, meant the gate of God. Uh, because it was a location where gods could come. But in our, in our story, why did the people at Shinar build the city and the tower? In verse 4, the reason is so that they would not be dispersed. They built the city not to keep enemies out, but rather to keep what they valued inside. They built a city and a tower to preserve what they had. They wanted to keep their language. They wanted to keep their culture and their people and their name. They wanted walls to maintain their uniformity. And if they went out into the world, what would happen? They would explore different lands with different climates and geographies and animals, plants and foods. New languages would develop, cultures would develop, and ultimately new names and new peoples. It's like when you're a parent and your your child um, suddenly starts to crawl around, right? What do you do? You buy gates and you set up a perimeter, right, in your living room or wherever uh, so that you can keep that child safe. You don't want that child dispersing out and getting into trouble. Well, the city at uh, Shinar, gates were built to keep the same uniformity safely inside. The walls and towers kept diversity out and uniformity inside. Now, uniformity is not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Uh, Uniformity can bring efficiency and consistency, but it can also lead to narrow-mindedness and even sometimes worse things through sin. But the reason why uniformity is problematic in this story is because it goes against the mission of our God. And that's where the tension of the story comes up. I mentioned that the story takes place uh, after God saves Noah and his family, and by saving them, he gives them a command in chapter 9 of verse 1 of Genesis. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The problem was that the actions of the people at Shinai run counter to the mission of God. What God desired to see were people filling the earth, 
being dispersed throughout the face of the earth. And as they did so, they would have developed new languages and new cultures. But rather than filling the earth, they huddled together, finding security in their own plans, uh, rather than finding security in God. They didn't want to leave what was familiar and comfortable and secure. Now, I, I just want to take a moment and um, I just want us to consider for uh, what are our cities? What are the towers that we build? What are the names that we're building for ourselves? Lest we think we're in some way better than the people at Shinar. What is it that you value that you don't want dispersed? What is it that you want to hide behind secure walls, even as God calls you at times outside your security? There may be a thousand things that you want to put behind that city that you've built with your own efforts, your own ability, your own hard work. It could be your reputation. It could be your financial security. It could be your accomplishments or your beauty and image. It could be your family and relationships. It could be your comfort. But here's the follow-up question. Um, does the fear of losing those things does that draw you closer to the presence of God? Or do you scramble eastward, away from the presence of God? You know, we could, just for example, the most fundamental calling that we have is to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. If we were to come outside the cities and towers that we built, if our wealth and possessions were dispersed, if our reputations and accomplishments were taken down, if our health and our physical beauty declined, if our name we worked so hard to build up was gone, and if all we had was simply the fact that we were a child of God, would you be filled still with joy? Or would being naked and exposed be unbearable for you? I felt this um, acutely during the pandemic um, in Cambodia. I couldn't meet teammates. I couldn't do any ministry with the Khmer pastors because most of the ministry we had was face-to-face. -face, and I was forced to slow down. And when I slowed down, I felt panic. I felt anxious because I wasn't doing what I thought I was called to do. My identity was wrapped up in my ministry, and I had to ask myself, who was I doing ministry for? Was it really for God and love of others, or was it for myself, for my self-esteem, for my self-worth? And it was a time of really just grappling and struggling. The reality is that everything that God calls you to do, whether to be a child of God, to love sacrificially your spouse, or your children, or your neighbors, to be faithful stewards of all that God has given you, to be a faithful witness in a society that is increasingly hostile to Christians, it means stepping outside of what gives us uh, security and comfort. And the Bible says that it will mean suffering and loss. All disciples of Christ experience this. But in faith, we are called to it because God has a mission that we're all part of? Do you find that your trust and security are in cities and towers? Or do you find your mighty fortress to be your God and Him alone?
Well, so how does God respond to the people of Shinar? How does God respond to us? How does he respond to a people that built a city and sought comfort rather than following his mission? In verse 5, uh, evidently the tower wasn't high enough because God had to come down um, from heaven himself. And then what does he do? In verse 6, it continues and it says, The Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. God sees what they're doing and he confirms their uniformity in contradiction to his desires. They are one people with one language and because of their failures, they're going to do whatever they can to maintain the status quo. Now, some may read this and they think um, God's feeling threatened. He's worried that they're actually going to reach heaven and somehow threaten him. But that's not the case. As we read further in verse 7 through 9, God acts. Come, let us... Go down and therefore confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. They left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's interesting. God does not immediately disperse them over the earth. But the first thing he does is he confuses their language. And in confusing their language, he actually starts to create a diversity of languages. In their fear, they built a tower of Babel, a gate of God that they thought would reach the heavens, but really God built the tower of Babel, a confusion that brought diversity. Now the tower represented new birth of language and even cultures. God's actions were not punitive, but God was continuing his mission of filling the earth with the diversity of peoples. And this is what we see actually in chapter 10. In the preceding chapter, there's a genealogy that describes 70 nations from the descendants of Noah and his three children, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 5 of chapter 10 reads, The son of Japheth, spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. Verse 20, the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse 31, the sons of Shem, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And each of these different clans, languages, lands, and nations are listed out. See, historically, chapter 11, what we read, comes, after, uh, comes before the genealogy of chapter 10. The work of God at the Tower of Babel dispersing the people of Shinar and creating diversity comes before this genealogy of all these peoples, nations, and languages. Chapter 10 reveals from a human perspective what was happening in the filling of the earth. But chapter 11, in fact, reveals what was happening behind the scenes, that God was actually working to fulfill his mission. God's mission, first and foremost, is his work, not ours. And when people are working against the mission of God, it does not hinder God at all. God is sovereign in his mission, and he wants to build a diversity of peoples, languages, and lands, and nations throughout the whole earth, and he will use every disobedience to make his mission happen. That even when there's fear, even when there is sin, Nothing can stop him. 
Um, you know, one thing that happened, uh, one blessing that happened out of the pandemic was my uh, partnership with Pastor Samat. You know, like I shared before, ministry came to a standstill. So uh, this pastor, Cambodian pastor that I worked with, he just started, uh, he just felt this desire to do something. So he just started preaching, making YouTube videos, started teaching. And it was amazing because as he uploaded it, it gained traction. And hundreds of people were viewing his videos, both believers and non-believers alike. And actually through those videos, people actually reached out to him through Facebook. And uh, he started discipling people, started discipling church leaders all through the pandemic. And it was uh, so fruitful that we actually started a ministry called the Church Planning Institute. And it it still uh, happens to this day at a time where there should have been no fruit, this amazing ministry bore out, and now dozens of church planners are working with them throughout Cambodia, people that we could never have reached if we didn't start this ministry. God is the Lord of his mission. He fulfills it no matter what. But the next question is, why does God want this diversity? In the very next chapter, in chapter 12, God calls Abram, He calls him to leave his country, calls him to leave his home, his wealth, his family, security, and to be dispersed to an unknown land in order to fulfill God's wishes. In chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason why God commands Noah to fill the earth, the reason why God confused the languages of the people of Shinar, the reason why God makes this promise to Abraham is so that he can bless the families of the earth. So he can bless the diversity of peoples, cultures, and how does he bless them? Well, we start in Genesis, but if we go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9 through 12, it reads in verse 7, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. Here we see before God a gathering of this great multitude of a diversity of peoples, languages, and cultures. And what are they doing? Continues standing before the throne and before the land, clothed, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels who are standing around the throne and around the elders and and the four living creatures, they fell on their face before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We have a vision, don't we, of a fulfillment of God's mission in history. We're presented with a picture of heavenly, eternal worship before the presence of God. And this is the reason why God confuses the language of the people of Shinar. It was not because God uh, was being punitive, but he wanted something, something much more glorious, much more wonderful than having just one people, one language, What brings glory to God is a diverse community from every nation, 
all tribes and peoples and languages worshiping together in unity. This is the beauty of God's mission, and it motivates us, doesn't it? And we're not surprised that it's beautiful for us because it reflects the nature of God. The diversity of God's mission reflects God's nature and identity. The worship of God needs to reflect his nature of both diversity and unity. Diversity of the worshiping community, unity in the worship of our God. God is three persons in one God, the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three different persons in community and unity. And it's no wonder that the mission of God encompasses the diversity of peoples that he's created that reflect who he is. And it's only in that diversity that's worshiping together is the fullness of God's glory revealed. Only a diverse worshiping community can glorify him fully. And this is what the story of Babel teaches us about God's mission. And what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us as we think about missions? And I'm just going to end with some applications. Um, first, you know, as I said in the beginning, we're reminded that the Lord is uh, the Lord of the harvest. He's the God of missions. He leads and he fulfills. Um, and the second is that we're motivated by the beauty of God's mission. And I'm going to just start with uh, applying the beauty of God's mission, this diverse worshiping community. Uh, God has been moving and is moving today to build a diverse worshiping community among all the peoples and languages he's created. And if that is true, then we're called to appreciate that diversity, to embrace it. Because of God's mission, our mission is to value, to celebrate, to learn from other people, uh, other groups, other languages and cultures. And when we have this mindset, missions is no longer giving, giving of our tithes, giving of the gospel um, and sending, but it's also learning and receiving learning from other cultures and other peoples what it looks like to worship him, to add to his glory. I had the privilege of meeting a Vietnamese pastor um, that opened my eyes to a group of people that normally I wouldn't even think of. He met a deaf person in his community and realized there was no church for the deaf. So he started uh, this church with just a handful of people and it expanded and all the worship was done in sign language. And they had their own expression and own culture of how they adored God. And this pastor shared how he gained a deeper understanding of worship through worshiping with them. The beauty of how you can use one's body and physical actions in communicating the glory of God. And I know that's different from our tradition of worship. Um, but it's a way to glorify God. And I believe that there will be a diversity of sign languages from all the nations in that eternal diverse worship that we'll see in heaven. Right now, there are over 300 sign languages from all over the world, including Vietnamese sign language, and their voices, their signing will, just, will be just as beautiful in proclaiming the glories of our God. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to explore the diversity around you and pray that worshiping communities would come out of those different groups 
whether it's the unreached people groups from South Asia or Muslims from Northern Africa or the deaf community, all in the greater Los Angeles area, find opportunities to learn, to value, and to pray. God loves these peoples and desires them, their expressions of worship to be part of that tapestry of worship. The second thing as we talk about diversity and the beauty of God's mission is I, I just want you to consider your own uh, ethnic identities and heritages. Um, I still remember in 2002 when I was living in Flushing, um, Korea and Japan were hosting the World Cup in soccer. I don't know if you guys remember this. And Korea just reached the semifinals and Flushing was losing its mind. Um, all the Korean restaurants in Flushing were hosting host parties. And even the Korean churches were hosting host parties, which I thought was sacrilegious because people were wearing red devil shirts into the sanctuary. But it was incredible how much national pride and joy was expressed in the city and even the church. It unified people. It drove people in celebration and joy for Korea. But as much joy and celebration we have as Koreans celebrating the success of the Korean national team, we should have even greater joy that the Korean people, culture, and language will be part of that heavenly worship and bringing glory to God, expressing a worship to God that is unique because of their ethnicity, because of their culture, yet beautifully united to all other peoples. Our greatest joy and pride comes from the fact that our heritage will be contributing to that diverse chorus of praise and adoration to our God. It will not be diminished, but it will be valued and it will be vital. And so for whatever uh, ethnicity or heritage you identify with, may your pride and joy come from that. And this also applies to New Life Prez. How you worship here at New Life Prez with its unique expressions of praise and adoration is going to be part and contrib contributing to that symphony of worship in heaven. So take great joy and value the worship that you have here. And now the second part, the certainty of God's mission, because God is the Lord of mission. Um, our Father in heaven is the one who calls people to fill the earth. He's the one who called Abraham to be a blessing. He calls his son and the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission. God the Father called his son to his mission. Just like Abraham, the Son of God was dispersed from heaven to a foreign land, he left his home, family, all the riches of heaven to come to earth. He was born as a Galilean Jew, speaking a dialect of Aramaic, living in a Hellenistic culture. But because of his faithfulness to God's mission, the work of Christ in his death, life, and resurrection was global and universal. He fulfilled the promise to Abraham and that through faith in Christ, everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, every people, every nation, can be a child of Abraham and will be blessed and will be part of that heavenly communion. See, the, God is working. He has worked and he will continue to work. He continues to work through the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit to be upon the church so that the church would go out into the world proclaiming the mission of God and saving people from every nation to worship him. The Holy Spirit continues to this day to bless the church so that instead of being driven by fear, hiding behind walls, the church can go out being dispersed to draw the presence of God uh, from all the nations to disciple and to baptize. 
The triune God has already fulfilled and is fulfilling his mission. What does it mean for us? It means that we have great freedom to participate in his mission because the success of his mission is not dependent on us. We're not coerced, but we're emboldened because God is moving and we, he invites us to participate. Pray then that God will continue to raise up workers even from New Life Press. Pray that God will continue to raise up the national church all over the world. Pray that God, um, that we can participate by being partners in the gospel, by sending missionaries, by praying for them, by supporting them, and pray that God would continue to glorify himself through his mission. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, we just... Uh, are thankful that your mission is so much greater than us. We're thankful that you are the Lord of the mission and that the beauty of your mission um, is so great that it's worth sacrificing for. It's worth being dispersed for. And I pray, Lord, um, that you would bless New Life Prez. Just continue to uh, use this beautiful church uh, to be an instrument uh, for your mission. Just uh, pray, Lord, that you would encourage them just by all the fruit that they have already seen through their partnership. And I pray, Lord, that the future uh, would continue to be fruitful uh, as they follow obediently to your call. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.